Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I am Nick Axelrod Welk and I am flying solo, but only for this intro because we are re-releasing a very early episode with the nutritionist that I've, the only nutritionist that I trust I would say nutritionist to the stars, but that would make her sound less legit than she actually is. Her name is Kelly Levesque, and her Instagram is Be Well by Kelly. And a lot of the times with nutritionists, I always feel like they are selling the latest trend. And what I like about Kelly is she is really well researched. She knows what the fuck she's talking about. She's realistic. She is a carnivore. She's not like a vegan, gluten-free person. And she is able to kind of like cut through the noise as a diet expert and nutrition expert and really kind of like give you the essentials of what you should and can do to eat healthily. Again, I feel like it speaks for itself that she is the only nutritionist that I've ever gone to. Actually, this is another solo episode that I... I did straight with Kelly from the year 2020. She is also the person who was able to help me get my pre-pandemic body back. So I will forever be grateful for her for that. Um, But again, she's at Be Well by Kelly and enjoy this OG episode. I just want to say it was a sad day for me because Annie was not able to participate in this conversation we had with the nutritionist Kelly Levesque, a.k.a. Be Well by Kelly. Annie had more important things to do, and so I had to (laughs) brainstorm with her on what we wanted to really ask Miss Levesque and then uh, take the reins myself and, you know, go it alone. But Kelly is an amazing nutritionist. She has over 400,000 Instagram followers, so people are hanging on her every word. But she's actually like, she is very legit. She went to USC undergrad, and then she did postgraduate clinical nutrition education at UCLA and UC Berkeley. She's like coached celebrities, but she also has written two books with HarperCollins. And uh, she is coming out, or she has come out with a protein powder that is back ordered right now but is uh going to be restocked in in the coming weeks it's i think just called be well by kelly protein powder she's amazing and i what i was excited to talk to kelly about was not only sort of how you know quarantine has affected i what i would imagine to be a lot of people's relationship with food and people's bodies and and people wanting to get you know now maybe back into fighting shape but also i wanted to get her perspective on a bunch of these like, you know, contemporary diet trends like intermittent fasting or keto or the F factor diet to sort of understand like which of these does she think are, you know, healthy and which are less than healthy, you know, and how we can sort of be more, what was her term? Intentional eating, intentional intuitive eating. eating. Intuitive yeah. eating. I think intuitive, intuitive eating, eating is like, I, I it's shot for me. I think like 
I, I think it's shot for most Americans. And this idea that you can achieve intuitive eating, which is like where you can just like eat like a normal human being and like not like overdo it or underdo it is I think it's a pipe dream. Is that the second time well, you use the word pipe dream in this episode? <laughs> so I asked her about intuitive eating and uh, with little Annie Kriegbaum on my shoulder. And this was uh, our interview, my interview, the interview. My biggest question, which is, and we're going to ask this and then I'm going to back up, is I am probably like a lot of people that you've seen in your practice. I gained the COVID-19 or like mm-hmm. 15 in the mm-hmm. first few months of all of this. I started an Instagram account called the Anxiety Baker that was short-lived, but basically I was making <laughs> a sheet of cookies every single day. Yeah. I bought like a kitchen, you know, like one of the stand mixers. I bought all sorts of flowers because I was like worried about rations, basically. <laughs> yeah. And I dutifully gained a lot of weight. And now I'm sort of in the, what I'd say, like the second phase of my quarantine, which has been trying to get rid of it and to, you know, feel better. So I've been trying to figure out like, what are the ways I can still feel comforted? Honestly, during this time, which would I think like a lot of people are like me who probably feel that food provides them with some sort of comfort or certain types of food, tastes, etc. So I need to sort of have that comfort, but I also need to like get back on a healthy track. Like, are you seeing this a lot? What do I do? This is the story of my life right now. It was weirdly the holidays without the holidays, everyone's home and there's a lot of banana bread being baked and a lot of comfort foods, but then you're not celebrating, you're scared. And so you're overeating and you're getting that dopamine hit from food and people don't realize it, but there's a total chemical reaction happening in your brain where you're getting these reward hormones that make you feel happy and comforted when you eat those type of foods. So first it was just like empathy. Like I get it. I'm there with you right now. Like I understand that this is not normal life, but then kind of like sort of stopping and checking in with yourself. It's kind of how it's been for me throughout this pregnancy too, is it's like food aversions, nausea, cravings. And then all of a sudden you're at week 14, all that stuff goes away. And you're like, wait, I'm going to be pregnant for like a long time. So we need to get our acting gear here. And that's the same with COVID. It's just kind of understanding that this isn't just like a couple of weeks of quarantine for us. Like we're looking at the next couple of years and what what's really going to happen. Like how long are we going to have to socially distance and what are the schools going to be looking like and what are, you know, what's travel like? And it's all pretty overwhelming. But the good news is, is there's so many little things that you can do and little habits that you can create. I think the knee jerk reaction is, oh my gosh, I just overindulged and now I need to start a strict diet. I need to throw all this stuff away or give it away and start fresh and I'm a failure and why did I do this to myself? And the reality is, is it all happened pretty quickly. The weight was gained pretty quickly. It's going to come off pretty quickly, but we don't need to binge and then restrict. We need to realize, okay, we emotionally ate for a little while here. And now we just need to start building those healthy habits from the ground up. So with all of my clients, we always look at the first meal of the day. Like by far, that's going to be the most successful for you to edit. Why will the first meal be the most successful to edit? Because what happens is, is when people want to intuitively eat and say, for example, you started your day with a bagel, that's a processed acellular carbohydrate that's going to spike your blood sugar and it's going to go up for about 90 minutes. And then you're going to crash for about 90 minutes. And the crash actually 
when blood sugar is going down and insulin is still very present in your bloodstream, not only are you in a state of storage, meaning storing these calories, whether it's glucose, sugar in your liver and muscles and fatty acids in your fat cells, but that crash makes you crave. It makes you irritable. It makes you crave certain sugary and starchy carbohydrates that are going to bring that blood sugar back up. So if we can just focus instead of saying, I'm going to have a perfect day and now I'm going to join all these boot camps and I'm going to count calories or I'm going to be a macro person. Instead, if you can say, I am only going to commit to like the first meal of the day being just freaking awesome and balanced so that my blood sugar is balanced so that I'm not crashing into my next meal or crashing three hours later and going that croissant or that like cookie or whatever it was that you've had is now making you kind of ride this roller coaster of cravings throughout the rest of your day and making you want things that you wouldn't necessarily need if you were balanced internally on a biological level. It's like setting a precedent, like setting a sort of, you like start in the morning with like how you're going to eat that day. And if you start with a bagel, like... Why wouldn't you have pasta at lunch? Yeah. And so that's the thing is like, and another thing too, is when we look at the research and scientific research tells us that 20 to 30 grams of protein, if you start your day with that, you're actually regulating over half the hunger hormones in your body. People have less obsessive thoughts about food. They naturally and spontaneously eat less calories overall throughout the day and they have less late night eating. And that's pretty crazy to line up all that research and say, wow, it's having such a profound effect on the rest of your day and the rest of your choices with making one choice. I've have my own podcast. I've had people on and I had one doctor on that I very much respect. And he was like, you know, I always just tell my clients, like you can buy the ice cream once at the store, or you can make the choice not to. And if you make the choice to buy it, then you have to make the choice not to eat it every time you open your freezer. And so that's a really important thing to think about right now is, is this is not the time to test us ourselves. And this is not the time to try to white knuckle it and use willpower because there's too much stress, anxiety, heaviness. I mean, 2020 is, I saw a mug that someone had that just said 2020 and it was a dumpster and there was just a fire. in it. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Like, and I was like, that pretty much feels like, like 2020 to me. So, um, and there's just so many like contributing factors to how it relates to food in that, like we're working from home and like the only kind of breaks you can take are to the kitchen, you know, and pantry flyby, right. Plus the anxiety (laughs) plus, you know, plus, 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 plus. So it sort of like has, I, I could imagine compounded a lot of, you know, people's already sort of like delicate relationship with food. Right. And then when you think about it too, is like when people start to eat, then they feel like they just keep, it's like pony up to the trough. We're just going to keep eating the rest of the day and we'll start over tomorrow or start over on Monday. Or, you know, there are these really like drastic moves and people love intermittent fasting right now. And there are like little things that have, you know, I look at my, the last 10 years of my practice and I, whether it's a bulletproof coffee or turmeric latte or intermittent fasting, and now everyone's carb cycling. And I mean, just like pick something. And this stuff has been in research for a really long time. And we have understood how ketosis works since 2014 in research, you know, and really like before that, but like really a profound amount of research came out that long ago, you know? And so I just am like about creating healthy habits that are foundational that we can build upon and not having these really drastic expectations for ourselves in a time when there's already enough stress and, you know, and triggers for emotional eating. So it isn't that we're going to be perfect because like, I do think perfect is the enemy of good. And I instead would say like, how do we set ourselves up for success for the day? Like 
intermittent fasting might work really well for people. But what I am fearful of sometimes with clients, especially right now, is that they're not eating until two in the afternoon and then it's backfiring. They kind of like my feeding window or my eating window is open. So now I'm just going to like, I'm going to have a nice meal, but then they've waited too long. So like those real hunger cues or the satiety cues that they're looking for from that meal, they eat it really fast. It isn't really satisfying. And then it's an hour later that they're eating again, an hour later that they're eating again. And then they're eating really more in the later part of the day. And so when I talk about breakfast with my clients being the most important meal of the day, like I really don't mind if it happens between 6am and 11am, like that's totally up to you, but I just can't have you waiting so long that it's, that's going to backfire on you. And I really want you to take advantage of what research shows us is like a really profound way to set up your day. Not even like, Hey journal. And it sets up your day. It's like, Hey, by the way, these like macronutrient inputs have a chemical and biological effect on your ability to naturally eat less, feel satisfied. And, and that's what I'm about. Like when it comes to the sugar, the carbohydrates, the treats, like I'm pretty glad that we're living in 2020 because there are really cool alternatives. There are really amazing companies that are paleo, vegan, keto, that are coming out with things that make it so that we can sort of have our cake and eat it too without a glucose spike, without hitting pre-diabetic numbers on blood tests. And I give my clients those tools too. It isn't that we're never going to have a tortilla again, but like, hey, you know, a regular flour tortilla, net carbohydrates on that is like 99 versus you can have two of these Siete almond flour tortillas for 16. And so what is that metabolically doing? Well, it's not taking you up this roller coaster and crashing you down and making you crave more sugar. It's actually balanced and the nutrients inside of it, the food inside of it is actually more balanced and more nutrient rich and minimal ingredients. So like, those are the things I'm looking for with clients. It isn't that we're trying to be perfect. It's just, if you were my client, I'd say, okay, like I get it. Big goods are awesome right now. Like if I could get my hands on some of your cookies, I would be all about it. But how can I just say, put some bumpers on your bowling lane so that even if you're swaying a little bit left to right, you're still going to knock a few pins down. So that makes total sense to me. 20 to 30 grams of protein to start your day seems like actually a lot more than people wouldn't even, would even think that was because I mean, an egg has how many, seven or eight grams of protein? It's only six actually. So, six. so yeah. like that's so, a lot of fucking eggs. Yeah. So it's a lot of eggs and it's overwhelming for people when they start to realize it. Cause I'll sit down with clients and they're like, Oh, I start my day with ah hard boiled egg. And I'm like, Oh, a hard boiled egg is only six grams of protein. Like that isn't actually regulating the hunger hormones in your body. And there's over eight. I mean, it's not just like you eat a bagel, an egg, a green juice and a latte. And each of these things make you feel the same fullness and calm that you would feel. But the difference is, is like, if you were to sit down to like four ounces of salmon, you're getting 30 grams of protein. So it is really putting breakfast on its head with a lot of my clients and having them be open to maybe they're having like an egg scramble with some locks and some avocado, or maybe they are having a protein shake. So I'm a proponent of a protein shake. I know it's one of the easiest ways to get the quantity of protein in my clients that I need to get into their human bodies to make them feel this way. Um, and one of the benefits is if they have, if they are open to a balanced formula for that, and I have talked about 
the Fab Four smoothie, which is like my version of a balanced formula for smoothies in both of my books. But it's just really successful because I'm getting the protein, fat, and fiber in their body that makes them feel full. And I have clients who will text me, have their smoothie at nine in the morning and text me at one. And they're like, this is really weird. I'm not hungry yet. Should I eat lunch? And I'm like, yeah, this is just the feeling of what it feels like if you your body is actually getting that nourishment that it needs and and you're triggering the release of those satiety hormones. And that's, I think, helping people get out of their own way to stay concentrated and not ride a blood sugar roller coaster. I mean, I think one other thing that is hard is you talk about intuitive eating, but we live in a culture and on social media where there are so many different messages about diet and exercise and lifestyle and food and oftentimes conflicting messages, which, you know, Annie and I were talking about this before we spoke to you that like, are we just fucked? Like, are, you know, like, is, <laughs> is there, are we too far gone to be able to intuitively eat because we just like have all these different messages being bombarded against us? Yeah. You know, I think diet culture really interferes with our ability to listen to our bodies because you can be like, oh, I'm going to intuitively eat. But then you have the laundry list of things you've learned and from like the diet books you read, the magazines you've read, what you've seen on Instagram. And so it's, it's definitely a biased version of intuitive eating. And on top of that, people aren't even thinking about their biology. So I mean, if I started my day with sugar or any form of sugar, you know, there's a big, really big popular trend right now to start your day with oat milk latte and a plate of fruit. And they're like, plate of fruit is the best way to start your digestion for the day. And I look at that and I go, two cups of pineapple is 28 grams of sugar. And if I started my day with a plate of fruit, I'll tell you, I would intuitively eat the shit out of every cracker, chip, and cookie in my pantry the rest of the day. And if someone doesn't understand that, like, that's not my fault. That has everything to do with like this roller coaster that I've put myself on by starting my day that way. And that's not me trying to demonize fruit. Like I love fruit, but I also have to preface it's very different from vegetables being that its composition is mostly sugar and it is going to have an effect on your brain and it is going to be delicious. It's, it is going to say be hard to say no to and to stop. And so, like I said, I think one of the biggest things we can do for ourselves right now during this time is not, not try to force ourselves to use willpower. Can you unlearn like everything you've learned about diets and eating to like become an intuitive eater like right now? Yeah. You know what? My, my whole thing is really kind of stripping away the titles of diets for clients, because if we just look at the biology and the science and the way that the foods that we're eating interact with our body, like for example, paleo and keto and South Beach and Protein Power and Atkins, they're all sort of a varying degree of one another. And they're all working by lowering the amount of processed carbohydrates and sugar, which subsequently lowers the amount of insulin in our body. And insulin is a fat is a fat storage hormone. It's a it's a storage hormone. It's anabolic, it's building on the body. So when you have a lot of insulin in your bloodstream, then your body has a propensity to store the nutrients that you're eating. And then there's this whole other camp, which is, you know, people who are plant-based and, and really avoiding a lot of animal proteins. And if they're having success, they are probably, not probably, they're most definitely at a caloric deficit, which is a lot easier to attain when you're eating plants. And they may have elevated insulin, but because they're they're really focusing more on having a salad with, you know, hearts of palm and tomatoes and cucumbers, they're all of a sudden feeling light and great. And so it's, 
it's really there are two ways to kind of get to where you want to go. And that's something in in nutritional research that we see people butting up against each other all day long is this like calories matter, plant-based life versus insulin and hormones matter versus, you know, sort of more of like a, a protein centric life. And so depending on my client, I'm just kind of telling them the science so that they don't have these knee jerk reactions to fads and to, to what someone with a banging body on Instagram is posting because they are able to unwind it and go like, this is working for that person because of X, Y, and Z. Like they eat pretty low calorically. They eat only plants and they move their body a lot. Do I have the flexibility to have that life with my husband, with my child, with my work, with the stress I have in my life, with my social life? And if the answer is yes, then by all means, that would probably work for you. And I think that that second part is really interesting because it's about the lifestyle to say like, okay, I'm on the go all the time. The different uh, moments where I've been on like more of a paleo bandwagon. The paleo camp, yeah. Yeah. And the paleo camp, I'm like, okay, it's really hard to like grab and go something paleo. So like if you're working and part of your work is like being in and out of cars or in and out of offices and you're around like everything basically that you have to go comes in a carbohydrate, whether it's like a wrap or a sandwich or a cookie or a, or a, bar. You know, like, or a yeah. bar. So something where you're going to have to avoid that stuff, if you were like going to be no carb or, or keto or whatever, like is might not work for your lifestyle. So like you have to sort of work a diet or like a regimen around your lifestyle. It sounds right. like. Exactly. And that's kind of, I mean, that's where the bio-individuality of like working with a client one-on-one comes in is because we can cherry pick the science from like one one diet book or one trend and another and say like, well, what's working for you? The interesting thing is diets are sort of out the, out the window a little bit. They're still prominent, but like the specifics of like an Atkins diet or a South beach diet, or you're on a cabbage soup cleanse, like those really stringent strict diets that like you have the PDF that you can eat and the PDF that you can eat list are a little bit out the window. And we really have moved into lifestyle diets. It's your paleo or your vegan or vegetarian or plant-based or whatever it is. And um, it's nicer because it's not as strict, but it also is interesting because we can pull back the layers, even just the titles of diet or lifestyle diet and say, we all just really need the same things. Like we absolutely have to get amino acids or protein from the food that we eat, no matter what our lifestyle is. We have to get essential fatty acids from the food that we're eating, no matter what our lifestyle is. I'm talking about the omegas, omega-3 being so anti-inflammatory and positive for mental health in our body. Um, And then like the plant part of it. Like, I think what is getting lost in translation sometimes for people in some of these lifestyle diets, like ketosis specifically, is that your gut microbiome needs you to eat plants, like to proliferate and protect you from the outside world. It is that barrier between what is considered outside your body and inside your body and the chemical benefits like short chain fatty acids and things that our little microbes produce when we eat plants. Um, they make us live a vibrant life, you know? So I am like a big proponent, even though there's technically in scientific literature, no essential fiber or leafy greens or antioxidants. Like I truly believe that my clients do better when they can just have a short list of like, Hey, this is what my body needs. And if I put these things on my plate and a glass of wine happens or a homemade chocolate chip cookie happens, I'm not going to spiral and say I'm a horrible person. Instead, I'm going to look at that and be like, all right, I gave my body some healthy proteins some healthy fats some some plants, fiber and leafy greens. And 
I should high five myself and let that dopamine hit of like celebrating a positive win perpetuate that type of eating behavior versus saying like, I'm an absolute failure. I told myself I wasn't going to drink the wine or have the cookie tonight. I'm starting over tomorrow. What if you put that on your head, its head and said like, heck yeah, I ate some plants tonight. I had some healthy fats and protein. I'm going to do that again tomorrow. What ends up happening is you end up crowding out your plate and eventually you end up having less of the cookies and less of the wine, but without the pressure of this is really what I'm trying to control. Um, so I have a challenge for you or like yeah. a challenge question. I'm going to eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's pick your flavor. Not This is not something I'm doing today, but theoretically. I'm yeah. eating a pint. I mean, I, something I have done, but I'm not doing today. Okay. Um, eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. What is the Be Well by Kelly recommendation for when, how, doing what? Like, what, how do I eat that pint of ice cream? If that's the reality. Yeah, absolutely. I love this question. No one's ever asked me this. This is a good one. So first of all, I really want you to enjoy it. Like, I want you to know that like, it's a celebration and it's something that you're doing to be like, this is delicious and I'm going to enjoy this because it's my favorite flavor and I grew up having it or you're nostalgic about it with your husband or whatever it is. Like you, one, I want you to enjoy it. I want you to enjoy it with someone who's going to help you enjoy it. Like share it. Right. And <laughs> I then not eat it at all. Yeah, not eat at all, but really just like also have a moment of like, I'm not in front of the TV doing this, or if I am in front of the TV doing this, at least I'm cuddled under a blanket with someone doing it, right? And I want you to prepare your body for it, meaning I want you to increase your insulin sensitivity. And what I mean by that is what that kind of Ben and Jerry's is, is it's sugar and it's lactose, which is milk sugar, right? So it's a double dose of sugar right there. And whatever flavoring, you know, you've chosen doesn't really matter. It's just going to be a lot of sugar. So what I want to make sure of is that the places where your body puts sugar are effective at sucking that sugar up into those locations. So whenever we have any type of carbohydrate, sugar, or starch, it breaks down to glucose in our bloodstream, blood sugar. And what it does is it's sucked up into our liver and our muscles. If you were ever an athlete growing up, this is called carbo loading, right? It's like we have starch or sugar, we eat a bunch of it before a big match. And then all of a sudden our, what I call our energy tanks, your liver and your muscles, those are, they're ready to suck up that energy. So a perfect example would be like, say you finished a work day, you know, it's a Friday, you guys are going to watch Netflix and order and have your Ben and Jerry's or whatever. I would say, okay, it's really important to me that when your work day is done, you leave your work on the table, you move your body, and I'm having you move your body with uh, a, a little bit of cardio and a little bit of strength. And the reason why I'm doing that is because we're going to dump your muscles of, of all the sugar that they're full of. We're going to try to empty those out so that when you have that ice cream, you're able to suck it up into those muscles. And your muscles are going to be more insulin sensitive if you do weightlifting. And they're not only going to be more sensitive. In, in, in this case, in, insulin sensitive is a good thing. Right. So insulin's job, it's a hormone. And its job, if you consider, if you think about every little cell that sucks up sugar, Sugar, every cell has a door and insulin is the key. So you want the key to work every time. And so when we work out, when we sleep well, when we work out and when we aren't highly stressed, our actually our insulin sensitivity is higher, meaning our the cells that can suck up sugar and burn it are better at doing that. So we want high insulin sensitivity because what that means is all those little keys are working and a bunch of little cells are opening to suck up the sugar. So that is important to me because I want all those cells to be empty before you have the ice cream. And then I want you to do something with your, at the same time, I want that activity to, to do something to increase the ability for your doors to open. 
And so that's what we're doing. And so if in my perfect world, the Thursday night, if this is Friday night, the Thursday night, you didn't stay up till one in the morning, like binging a TV show. You went to bed at a normal hour, I'd say like 10 p.m. being the latest, and you got a solid seven to eight. And then obviously throughout that day, I prioritized having protein. So I'd, I'd pull back on the sugar for the rest of the day. Maybe you'd have, even if you had a chocolate protein shake, it's probably using monk fruit or stevia. You could have a big salad with fatty salmon, some avocado. You could feel satisfied to have a handful of nuts, whatever that may be, and feel really good about it. Go get that workout in and then know, okay, my insulin sensitivity is high. I haven't filled my body full of sugar. I just dumped a bunch of sugar out of my muscles and they're really ready to suck up this ice cream. And so then we have that ice cream, we enjoy it, we cuddle up. And then the next morning, I would say your blood sugar is going to be elevated. So ways to bring down your blood sugar is one, I want to make sure you're super hydrated. So a really good way to make sure you're hydrated is to like make sure you're getting electrolytes. One of my favorite electrolyte mixes is called Element, L-M-N-T. So many electrolyte mixes from whether they're sold at Costco or Whole Foods or a bougie Erwan type of a market, they have sugar in them. And you don't need it because we're all eating enough sugar. So we want some electrolytes and we want a lot of water. So we're going to hydrate your body, not because hydrating your body brings your blood sugar down, it dilutes the sugar. So like if you have more blood volume, then we have less sugar overall um, per milligram per deciliter. So we want to do that. And then we want to make sure that like the next couple meals are not full of sugar. And this is the hardest part because if you have that Ben and Jerry's the night before and you wake up with elevated blood sugar, it's the same thing as kind of riding that roller coaster throughout the day. You're going to wake up and be like, it's the weekend. Should we get insert your favorite brunch, (laughs) you know? So just being consciously aware of like, okay, I'm making this choice. I'm going to enjoy it. I never think twice about it, but like, Hey, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and have eggs or I'm going to have a protein shake or I'm going to, you know, and if you want to move your body again that next day, great. That'd be an awesome thing to do. It doesn't have to be excessive. You could go for a long walk. You could go play tennis. You know, you could do 20 minutes in your apartment on a zoom workout, whatever it is, but just, Knowing that like that elevated blood sugar the next day is going to just tempt you a little bit for more of those sugary starchy foods and that, hey, there's you need to just kind of focus on bringing your blood sugar back down is important. And I think that's the key, because what happens is is people go, well, I'm just going to have a cheat day or a cheat weekend. And then I test blood sugar and they're not losing weight or they're not feeling great. And what's actually happening is they have elevated blood sugar and elevated insulin from a bingy weekend until like Thursday. And then Friday, they're finally back in a place of like, let's do this but it's a weekend. (laughs) That makes sense. You mentioned a little earlier that being paleo or or sort of being vegan or following any of these diets, keto is a little, it's easier now, now more than ever, because there are are all of these sort of alternative solutions. My husband and I, as I said, are trying paleo right now and are really obsessed with these siesta grain-free tortilla chips. It's easy to go through an entire bag. But there's also things like Magic Spoon Cereal, which I know, I think you're an investor in and also into. And we spoke to Gabby last week or two weeks ago about Magic Spoon and how he kind of spent so much time in R&D engineering like this quote unquote perfect cereal. There's Mm -hmm. nugs, which are like the chicken imitation chicken, chicken nuggets. There's impossible. You know, there's all these different like substitutions. Are those okay? Like, should we be I mean, like if I'm eating a bag of siesta grain free tortilla chips, might I just as well be eating Tostitos? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a certain point where when we're looking at the inputs, it's a processed acellular carbohydrate. And what I mean by that is it's a flour-based product. Like, it's sort of like the garbanzo bean pasta. Like, it's a flour. We've made a flour out of a carbohydrate-based food. It may be a little bit more balanced than, say, a grain like wheat. But garbanzo beans and, you know, cassava and coconut and almonds... There's still we're still making a flour out of it and we're eating it more than we would eat if we were just sitting down to have a handful of one of those things. And the the carbohydrates can actually easily ratchet up. And so that's where I'm really careful with clients. I call these products your party plus one. It's like we're not adding like four friends to the party. Like we're we're having real whole foods and we're getting our party plus one. And like in your ice cream example, that'd be your party plus one. Like get yourself salmon and veggies or roasted chicken and whatever. And then know that that's your party plus one. We're not just going like, let's blow it out. Meaning, meaning it's like these things should still be seen as like indulgences or like uh, yeah. occasional, occasional things. And so yeah. they begin, they, and that's the thing is I think when people blanketly say like, Oh, this cereal or these tortillas or these chips or these crackers are total staples in my life. And then we look at their overall day and we realize like the day of caloric intake is highly processed and highly carbohydrate, even if it's grain free or quote unquote healthy, like it's going to manifest itself in the overgrowth of inflammatory microbes in the gut microbiome. It's going to dysregulate blood sugar. It's going to lead to inflammation, even the healthier foods, because if they become the prominent source of your nutrition, then they become you are what you eat. Does the same go for like impossible meat and nugs, things like that, or meat substitutes that you wouldn't say like, okay, you can be vegetarian, but like your daily dinner shouldn't consist of a meat substitute? Yeah. you. I can't even tell you how many times because we come, it's become a really popular diet where I sit down with clients and I'm like, do you know what's in this? Like it's pea protein, it's soy protein, it's gluten protein, and it's inflammatory industrial seed oils. And all of these products, all of these ingredients that are making up this fake meat for you are actually very inflammatory, unbalanced, and not something I would have you eat if you looked at each individual ingredient. These so, are engineering for taste. They're not engineering for health. They're not engineering anywhere near for health. And when you look at like actually what's happening, they are requiring a massive amount of industrially raised grains. And it's actually not great for the environment. It's depleting soils, depleting soil microbiome. I feel like the answer is that like the food industrial complex is lying to us. And like part of like being an informed eater and informed consumer is understand like they're so fucking sneaky. There was a great Katie Couric documentary, the one she did about sugar like a few years ago. I remember this one scene where they talk about the dairy industry created cheese product. So like, you know, like Kraft Singles. Yeah. They basically like in the 80s and 90s when skim milk became all the rage and everyone was like drinking skim milk, there was all this milk fat that had been discarded from the oh. milk skin milk making process. And they were like, what the fuck should we do with all this? Like all these <laughs> milk fats. And they decided like, Oh, we'll just like, we'll say cheese is the new way to get calcium and, and protein and all this stuff. And so then cheese became like, there was like a big dairy farmer, like push to advertise cheese. So, and, and even now when you look at even in a place like Erwan, where it's like allegedly everything is good for you, it's like, They'll something will say coconut sugar and that's just sugar or agave or the best one is like brown rice syrup and it's like yeah. that's sugar or you know organic cane sap sure. it's like yeah. it's all it's all fucking sugar and so 
And so many people don't have access to that information. That's the hardest part for me is I'm just trying to be a whistleblower when it comes to like, what is sugar? And that's why I teach blood sugar balance. Like that is my science of choice because when I look at inflammation, when I look at diseases that we're dealing with in our country, childhood obesity and diabetes, like it's starting at such a young age, all the microbiome dysbiosis that's happening, it's coming from all of these processed sugars and flours that overfeed all of those microbes, elevate blood sugar and create inflammation. So, I mean, I think one of the things that's becoming clear in talking to you is how important like education is and knowledge. So it's not just about getting a prescription for like, okay, this is your diet. It's about actually needing to know like how many days that after you eat something, you need to probably think about what you're eating or being extra hydrated in the morning after having a big uh, sugar spike, things like that. I think Instagram and you have over 400,000 followers on Instagram is a great, in some ways, a great platform for you to be able to, to give a lot of people who don't have access to you personally, or who might not have the $250, $500 to do one of your courses, give them access to you and to some of this education. On the downside to that, we've seen you know, there are so many practitioners on Instagram. What what you sort of end up doing is being someone who has not evaluated the person, but who is dispen- you know, giving them some sort of medical information, right? Yeah. And we've seen it in recent weeks, like backfire, especially in the nutritionist space, because you have 400,000 people listening to every word you're saying, and also who are desperate probably a lot of them to figure out some way to make their lifestyles healthier, to make their bodies look a certain way, whatever it is. How do you wrap your head around that and sort of like try to cause the least amount of harm as possible? Well, I think that's really, really important. Like people need to understand the gravity of their voice and having a platform. And they also need, I think if you were trained appropriately, you know that like you are not supposed to give medical advice to a client that you don't have a HIPAA signed contract with, that you don't have a health history on, that you don't, you know, there are generalizations that can be made. And so that's one thing that I've always been also is one, I don't like strict rules. I'm very, I might be an early adopter of something, but I will not be an early like preacher of something until I have seen it repeat itself in science. And it feels tangible to me and something that is safe. So I'm, I'm a generalist. Like my recommendations are to eat the fab four protein, fat, fiber, and greens. You really could be keto plant-based. It doesn't really matter how you eat. Like science still tells us those things are important and getting into the nitty gritty only happens with clients when I have those one-on-ones, which is really important for me. And I think also when we start to give people rules or we're black and white, science isn't black and white. And that's really hard when people say, oh, you have to eat this before a meal or you use this powder or you try this pill or whatever. Like there isn't ever strong enough information on that to feel that I would ever feel comfortable blanketly making a statement like that because it's there. <laughs> it's almost like if I make a statement like you should have leafy greens and then it's like I need to do an asterisk and be like, if you have thyroid disease, there are oxalates present in your leafy greens. And if you're having them at every, you know, like, or if you're having, (laughs) eat cruciferous vegetables, they're anti-cancer. If you're eating cruciferous vegetables, there are oxalates, you know, like I would need to do 
Little, Basically, little, what like, they have at the asterisks. end, right? What they yeah. have at the end of like the medication ads the pharmaceutical on TV. commercials, yeah. Right? Like, like this the, might kill you. Yeah, like, yeah. Like I need to have disclosures, and like I need to have the what ifs, and that if this is happening to you, disclaimers. Because the reality is, we're all super individual. We all have different mutations in our genes. We all have different microbiomes. We all have different lifestyles. We're living in different environments. We have different experiences with the world and how we had, how we deal with stress, like how we sleep. I mean, God, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And that's what I try to empower my clients to do. Here's the science. Here's something I want you to read. Here's something that I want you to try because I want you to be your own little lab rat. I want you to build your own little lifestyle without thinking that someone else knows you better. And really just to, to look at the science very generally, don't have knee-jerk reactions, go like, okay, that's cool. How can I implement that? What's happening scientifically? Does it work in my lifestyle? Okay, I tried it, now reevaluate. How does it make me feel? Is this still really working for me? And then you're not married to this stuff and you're not, it isn't who you are. It's just like how you're living at the time. I think one of the greatest things that I learned in Mommy and Me, which is so funny because it's like I'm working all these hours and then I like pop into Mommy and Me. And my Mommy and Me teacher was like, you know, I, I whenever you say anything in this class, I want you to end it with right now. And I think that that's so powerful. Like it was like Sebastian's not sleeping right now. He is really loving trucks right now. And like that's how I want my clients to feel too is it's like, I'm really excited about protein shakes right now, or I'm really loving intermittent fasting right now. It's like, are you going to be keto or intermittent fasting when you're 90? You don't know. And like, the more you try to claim that that's who you are, not what you're doing, the harder it is for you to unravel and and differentiate when you need to change. So is the key, not to totally change the subject, but this made me think of it, is the key to a long life, okay, here's what I've heard. Is the key sort of like living a lifestyle in which you're in a caloric deficit, meaning you're ingesting fewer calories than you're burning? Or is the key blueberries, organic blueberries, which I'm convinced is the only food that doesn't have like there's not an asterisk around? (laughs) What are the general sort of like things that the research lets us just say, okay, we can have this? If you're eating fewer calories, you know, it might not feel good, but like you're on the right track to a long life. Like what, give us like what something we can just yeah. relax so, about. I mean, the thing that I'm a big proponent of is obviously like, that's what I was looking for in my practice. That's what I was looking to give people was like, look, it doesn't matter. You, you need to eat these things. And the things that you need to eat is you need to get a source of protein from your food. You need to get a source of healthy fats from your food and you need to eat some plants. And it is as simple as when do you eat when you're hungry and you eat to feel full and satisfied. So it's my whole mission with clients is to teach them to eat meals so they don't need to be eating all day long so that they feel full and satisfied and they have proper digestion and like blood balance, blood sugar for longer hours within the day. But I think it really is about doing what you need to do to stay motivated to do those things. So whether that's, you know, eating the fab four or moving your body or being about sleep, like pick one thing that you're going to hold on. Hold on. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. I want like a eat 20 to 30 grams of protein. Oh, you want the hit list. I want, I just want like, give me like, give me, I don't want like, I don't need the secret sauce, but I want like a taste of the secret sauce. Like what, like what are the sort of things that we can, grab onto as like takeaways. Yes. Okay. Here are the takeaways for anyone listening because COVID has been, has been 
a banana bread of a season. (laughs) So here's what we need to do. Wake up, move your body fasted. It's going to dump your cells uh, and your muscles of stored glucose. It's going to make you more insulin sensitive when you do have those whoopsies. I accidentally fell on a plate of brownies. Meaning like work out on an empty stomach. Work out on an empty stomach. You're going to get a surge of human growth hormone and testosterone that's going to not only increase insulin sensitivity, be great for your body and, and biochemistry, but also it's going to help you retain muscle mass, which increases your resting metabolic rate. So that is what I would do. Start your day with movement to get those biological benefits. Then when you're feeling hungry, somewhere between an hour and two hours after that meal or after that workout, I would ingest 20 to 30 grams of protein. I don't care if it's a chocolate peanut butter shake. I don't care if it's eggs and avocado. I don't care if it's fake faux meal, whatever is your favorite. I mean, don't be a breakfast person, sit down and have a piece of salmon and veggies. I don't care, but do it before it's too late. I think when people are doing it too late and they're gung-ho on intermittent fasting and they're waiting till two in the afternoon, I have only seen it backfire only last a short period of time. So shrink your feeding window all you want. I'm obsessed with that. Eat eat like my grandma, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. You're going to get way better results if you end your day earlier than if you start your day later. Your circadian rhythm is affecting every single cell in your body and your insulin sensitivity and your ability to metabolize food as energy versus storing it as fat is better in the morning hours and the light hours when it's light outside versus when it's dark. So eat when it's light out, not when it's dark out. And then focus on sleep, like move, eat balanced, clean, start with protein. So you make better choices and your food day. You know, if it's not a weekend and you're like really just trying to be good and ditch a few LBs or feel your best in the morning, end it a couple hours before you go to bed. Like I said, five, six, seven at the latest, and then go to sleep, preferably by 10 PM. We get better sleep between 10 and six than we do between midnight and eight. Move your body, get your protein in. That'll keep you balanced throughout the day. End your day early, go to sleep. Those would be like just the basics of if your sleep isn't dialed, if you're not moving your body, if you're not starting your day with protein, you're trying to white knuckle it till 2 p.m., I'm going to have issues moving the needle on your body composition, on hormone balance, on where you want to go. Those are going to be all deal breakers. What about um, Scandinavian fiber crackers? <laughs> I am not a fan. Um, I I am not a fan. I I understand the need for fiber. I'm a huge fan of fiber. I think it needs to come in a variety of vehicles. So we actually know in scientific literature that your microbiome is affected by the number of diverse plants that you eat in your diet, the diversity of color, the diversity of plant foods, because fiber isn't fiber and not fiber. Fiber is broken down into a plethora of different types of fiber, resistant starches, and each one of these things we know now from gut microbiome testing that like specific strains of bacteria are fed by specific fiber types. So looking at gut microbiome test results, we can say like, oh, you're low in this specific type of, we'll just use lactobacillus because people know that one, lactobacillus. And we know that it's fed by psyllium husk powder. So let's get you psyllium husk or, hey, we know that you're low in this strain. We know that asparagus feeds this or apple pectin feeds this. You need to add this type of food to your diet to increase the strains of that bacteria. One cracker source isn't going to do that for you over right. your day. Fair enough. So, <laughs> you know, like listening to this, I'm certainly like, I need to book an appointment with you immediately. I'm <laughs> sure that a lot of people feel that way. Are there resources or is reading your books like the first sort of way to kind of get enough information that you can start without having to shell out like 
the money. And, and you also are one person who can't see everyone. Who <laughs> yeah, there's so many hours in you. the day. Right. Like what, like the the good first steps? Yeah. So, I mean, the books are probably like the gateway to uh, the science that I teach. Body Love, my first one is really the basics. Body Love Every Day goes through the base, goes through the science that I share in Body Love, but then goes into greater detail. So it's blood sugar science, and then it goes through protein, fat, fiber, greens, like our physical need for these things and like why they're important to you for longevity, for health, for hormone balance, for digestion, for detoxification, you name it. And then I give example plans in that book, like Girl on the Go or Domestic Goddess. And that really informs like, well, what kind of person are you? If you really are on the go, I want you to know how to pick a protein bar, find something at a convenience store. And so you can kind of lean on those chapters as like, okay, now it's my time to choose my own adventure. And I give specific examples in those. My courses are probably, you know, they're a little bit more expensive. They're like 250 on sale below 200 on big sale weekends, but that is really accessible because it's video and then it's PDFs. So it's attached PDFs that are like here, the Kelly Cliff notes of what I'm trying to tell you here. And if you learn better that way, great. I would check that out. And then one-on-one sessions are kind of like the very next level. I love it. So I feel like I now know probably like what I quote unquote intuitively like should have known, which is like, if you start your day with like the right, the right food, then you're just going to have a better day. Do you eat anything that's bad for you? Oh yeah. Like I just, (laughs) yesterday was labor day and here's the deal. I just don't keep it around. And so there's this little amazing little beach shack down here where we're renting our like beachy place for for COVID and they do like gluten, like carry your healthy terms, ready? Gluten-free vegan chocolate chip cookie, ice cream sandwiches with coconut ice cream, vanilla ice cream in the middle. (laughs) And I am, you know, I'm my third trimester of my pregnancy. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm tracking pretty much the same as I was with Sebastian. I gained 26 pounds with him and he was almost a nine pound baby. So it was uh, not too bad for me at postpartum, but I'm like, babe, I'm tracking like four to five higher than, you know, at this point, my pregnancy with Sebastian. And I'm a hundred percent blaming those damn ice cream sandwiches. Those ice cream sandwiches (laughs) sound really, really good. Again, it's back to that whole point of like, let's not challenge ourselves in a time of like stress. Let's, let's set ourselves up for success and know that like we can celebrate and then we just feel good doing it and we don't feel bad doing it because we're like, ah, it wasn't, it wasn't too crazy. And I'm pretty dialed in the rest of the week or you know, the next couple of days. And, and that's where I I want people to get to a place of of being able to really enjoy whatever it is. If it's your Ben and Jerry's or your ice cream sandwich and say like, I'm not a bad person for this. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jonathan Kornman, a friend of a pod. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash eyewitnessbeauty. Literally every single dollar that we get on Patreon goes into the making of this podcast we've never had a sponsored episode or a sponsor period and we kind of like that so your support means everything you can find us on instagram at eyewitness beauty naxlerod annie okay annie at eyewitnessbeauty.com nick at eyewitnessbeauty.com and we'll see you next week 